A reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to chapter 2, verse 5. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear, and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with the wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Thank you. Um, Just as I start, or before I start, I was telling Tom a story about the only only time I've had anything to do with uh, pets, really, was uh, when I was uh, a lieutenant colonel in in Chester and I was posting soldiers around the world. And um, uh, my... uh, admin assistant, she she had a really difficult life. Her husband had left her, her kids were difficult. And one day she came into the office one Friday afternoon and just said, my hamster, it's my hamster, I'm going to have to take him to be put down. And, you know, this was like the last straw. And it's the only, it's one of the few times I've heard the audible voice of God because God said, pray for it. And I looked round and I thought there was somebody in the office, but there wasn't. I said, Janet, can I pray for the hamster? She she knew I was a Christian, but like, you know, oh yeah, she was desperate. I prayed for the hamster. And on Monday morning, the hamster was rolling around on its wheel. It obviously only lasted a few more months, but at that moment... But at that moment, the point is, at that moment, that, that woman was touched by the Spirit of God because her hamster lived that night, that day, anyway, for a few months. Hamsters don't live forever anyway. That's why I couldn't believe God's, you know, I just couldn't believe it. But that's, that's God for you, isn't it, really? You know, on, from that, that, those scriptures, it said, it says... Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God showed, chose the, th- the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And, you know, really, it, it's, it's the foolishness of God that I became a lieutenant colonel in the army. And, uh, you know, I, I'm from a working class family. Um, I have five O-levels. 
Um, I've got one A-level, and that's called home economics. I went to Polytechnic and got a home economics diploma. You'll all be shocked now. But, you know, um, and especially those of you that know I can't cook. You know, it's like, it is the foolishness of God that what happened to me in the army. But that's the God who saves us. That's the God who takes us on. And uh, I, I will tell you this story. Um, in the, I, the day I left the army, I was, I, uh, I was pulled out of the army, you know, the barracks and all the soldiers were there. They were all saluting and, you know, I was frightfully important. And, and then I went out of the barracks and I was no longer important. Uh, and then the next day I went to Pensacola and there, you, there was a move of God in Pensacola in Florida, but it, you know, in, this was 2002. And I went there and the moment I get there, God says, and the worship, and I love the worship, and I was really enjoying the worship. And God said to me, he whispered, he said, Jan, lie on the floor. So thankfully, like here, there's a carpet. So I lay on the floor. It was an Assemblies of God church. So they used to come and put um, a little blanket, a modesty blanket on you. So, um, you know, so I lay there. Now the worship went on for an hour and a half. Um, and um, then there was this chorus, and it said, it's time. I thought, great, it's, it's time to get up. But this time, as I got up, my legs were, it wasn't God, it, my legs were wobbly, so I have to get back down on the floor again. Now, God isn't saying to me, Jan, you're going to be a missionary in Sudan. You're going to, you're, you're going to go all over the world and, you know, preach the gospel. He just left me there, and he didn't speak. You know, I paid a lot of money to go to this place. And and I'm lying on the floor. Anyway, at the end, when the word was preached, I was able to get up. But every time the worship came on, I have to lie on the floor. Ten hours I spent during that conference lying on the floor with God not saying anything. But at the end, he said to me, Jan... When you're on the floor, that is where the mantle of my glory will be revealed. Then I can use you. And you see, what had to happen was the lieutenant colonel had to come out and the child of God had to come in. And God had to change me and humble me. I was no longer important. I was no longer had a status. But God, I believe, gave me something even more special as we started Flame International. And I have great fun when I'm on mission. And, but he had to teach me that. Um, and then in the second part, you so I'm not of noble birth is what I'm trying to say to you. And, and then uh, the, the second part, it, it says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, you know, I am not an eloquent speaker. I don't have wise and persuasive words, but I do have access to the Lord's power. You see, I am no, I'm a nobody, but I have access to a supernatural God in the same way that you have that same access that I have. And so I, I have, and, and you see, I've had the privilege of walking in the miraculous. And I'm going to tell you a few miraculous stories this evening. 
Um, I like taking risks. I suspect that's why I joined the army, because I like taking risks. Um, But, you know, tonight, when I was out there, I felt sick at coming to speak to you this evening. In my own church, I felt sick because I was going to come. And yet I do this all around the world. Numerous cathedrals around Africa, um, and I don't get sick. I, I just get up there. And preach, and tonight, and Tom thankfully said, Jan, I'll just pray for peace. But you see, so I do this all the time. I come here and I feel sick inside. As soon as he prayed, the peace came. And I think I'm okay now. Um, but, <laughs> you know, but, but when we operate in faith, which is what I'm doing tonight, because I, I, I think I've spoken once or twice here before, but a long time ago, When we operate in faith, it has consequences. And it could fail. You know, when you speak, it could fail. Um, You know, it might not be very good. But as you lean into Jesus, what God asks you to do, as you lean into him, that's why it's important that we know him better, as we lean in... He honours the risks that we take. He honours what we do. And I'm not saying tonight will be a great night. I'm just saying I've had to lean into Jesus. Because that's all that was on offer, really. And thank God for that. And thank God for him. And what is faith? In Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We can't see faith. We can't see the outcome of stepping off the cliff and and knowing what's going to happen because we can't see it or stepping out tonight. I can't see what's going to happen by speaking tonight or by going to South Sudan or wherever the other places. You can't see it, but you have to trust God that when when he does, when he tells you to do something, he will honor it and he will, and he will, he will do something extraordinary and supernatural. It's nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with you. It's all to do with him. He's a supernatural God. And it means stepping out of our comfort zone and seeing Jesus do the extraordinary. Um, and, and, you know, to me it's, it, it's just so encouraging when I, when I see miracles happen. And what happens is that when I see a miracle, my faith increases. So therefore it's like muscles. When I use my muscles, which I don't very often, but when I use my muscles, they strengthen. And so when I see them a, a miraculous sign, my faith strengthens. And I get more faith because I see Jesus honouring the risks. Please don't think I'm clever because I'm not. I just do what God tells me to do. And, um, we, you know, and I, I believe that what we have to keep doing is looking at Jesus and his power and he will um, increase our faith. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. And everything I want to say tonight is all about Jesus because he is the author perfecter of our faith, but he's also the, the one who does miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. I had a young adult, um, a young adult coordinator came to work for me and we took her to South Sudan and she said, Jan, I want to see a miracle. And at that moment, my heart sank because I can't produce a miracle. I, I, I just can't. I just see them happen. 
And um, I said, fine, Charles, that, that's great. You know, I was less enthusiastic than I normally am. And um, she said, um, so we were at the first conference and there was a lady lying outside on a mattress under the trees, looking very deathly. And she had malaria and potentially all sorts of other um, very unpleasant uh, sicknesses. And she said, Jan, can I go and pray with that lady? I said, yeah, carry on, sweetheart. And so she went and she prayed with her and nothing happened. She said to the lady, how are you? And the, and the lady, well, she didn't understand, I don't think. But anyway, but, uh, but actually, I think the lady probably knew, but she didn't feel any better. But the next day, um, when she, Charles sat down and they were having their tea, and the lady who'd been lying under the tree looking like death was serving her tea. And Charles ran to me and she said, Jan, I've seen the miracle I asked for. I've seen it. She was healed. This lady, there was no way that without the supernatural power of Jesus, she would have been able to get off, up off that bed. And so I, was, I thought, hallelujah. And then that whole mission, we, we constantly saw miracles. And in one place, in a place called Nimele, um, we, there was obviously an anointing for eyes because we were praying for eyesight. And at the end, I said to these guys, I said, how many of you have had your eyesight improved? I'm not saying they were blind. I'm just saying they couldn't see very well. 25 people put their hands up and said, my eyesight has been improved. Why? Because Jesus supernaturally came that day or those two days that we were there and healed them. It was nothing to do with us. We just did what we felt the Holy Spirit was guiding um, us to do. You know, um, and what I would say is, though, that my faith was pretty weak when I first started praying with people. I was, um, at one stage, I was in Glasgow, um, in, again, posting soldiers around the world. And I was at home in Portsmouth, and my mother had a friend called Phyllis, and uh, she, she had a really bad back. She couldn't bend down. She'd come into a room and sit with her back to the wall because she needed something really firm against her, against her back. And, um, you know, I, 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 I hadn't done much praying for people before. Anyway, I said, well, sit down. I, wasn't, I was in a bit of a hurry because I needed to get my plane, you see. So, I, so she sat down. I said, hold, would you like to hold your hands out, darling? Yes. And so she did. And I said a very quick prayer, Lord Jesus, send your Holy Spirit. And would you feel heal Phyllis's back? And I was in a real hurry. Um, and uh, so I left her. I didn't even ask how her back was or anything. I was just in a hurry. So I get into a car, race to Southampton Airport. Within about uh, two hours, as I'm walking into my flat in Glasgow, the telephone's ringing and my mother's going, Jan, 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 Phyllis is back, it's healed, she can touch her toes, she's dancing around the room. And I said, oh, oh, well that's Jesus, darling, you know, that's, and actually that lady came to Christ as a result of that very mediocre prayer. Can, you know, it was not wholehearted. It was not. I was in a hurry, for goodness sake. But you see, God, God doesn't do, th he uses whatever we have, whatever little we have, and he multiplies it. 
And I had a very little at that stage. But God eventually taught me that as we go on, as you just step out, and it is like just stepping out in faith, you know, that's what we've got, that's what we've got to do. And I believe in St. Paul's. I, I'm so excited about what Tom's doing in the services because I want to see the faith exercised here. It is a spiritual gift. And actually, I believe that we can have an impartation of faith if we're hungry enough for it, if we want it. But you see, we can't afford to be in what I would say spiritual neutral. We can't, you know, be in neutral gear. We need to be, first of all, put into first gear. That would help. And then we go into second gear. That would be even greater. Third and fourth gear, we'll be whizzing round Camberley. You know, it'll be... Amazing. So uh, we can't afford here to be in spiritual neutral. And, and I believe, though, that the Lord really, really um, wants, to, uh, wants to use this church. We can't put God in a box. And, um, you know, two years ago, um, I went to a prayer meeting. I'm going to talk a little bit about Pakistan I went to a prayer meeting in Cyprus about praying for the dark places in the world. And they prayed for Pakistan. And if you want to know the truth, I don't know if Paul's here, but, um, uh, but anyway, I would tell him anyway. But I didn't find Pakistan a particularly attractive country because all I knew was Pakistanis in this country who weren't particularly friendly. And yet, I go to this prayer meeting and God absolutely changes my heart for the Pakistani nation and the Pakistanis. He absolutely broke my heart. And so I came back. I didn't know what to do with this broken heart. I just kind of carried on. Um, And then what happened was that Release International um, said, Jan, you've got something that we don't have. Would you go to Pakistan? Can we take you to Pakistan? Had my heart not been broken for Pakistan, I wouldn't be there. But I am there. And the first time we go, we went on a recce. And uh, this guy said, why don't you come back on Friday and um, do a little bit of an outreach? And we were visiting a a sewing project. And we were in the front room. I thought, oh, well, that'll be great. We'll just be in in the front room and we'll talk to a few people. When I get there on Friday, um, I'm taken up onto the roof of onto the roof of house of this this house. There's 120 people sitting on the roof. There are speakers which are like this high, and they're worshiping God in a Muslim area. And then I'm given a microphone, and I'm not quiet. You probably noticed. And um, I and I I'm not quiet. And I'm preaching the gospel, and I'm asking them to forgive people, and I'm cutting them free from things. They come forward. I must. We must have prayed. There was only two of us that we must have prayed for 120 people. They all came for ministry. I know. Jesus touched those people that night. I know in faith. And you know, somebody said to me, Jan, were you not frightened? I didn't have time to be frightened. I found myself on the roof of this flat roof in Pakistan, and I knew I just had to preach the gospel. You see, I know because I took a risk. I know that that was the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And so I know that something happened. Um, 
And, um, and then I want to just talk to you about um, rain, actually. You see, we see miracles. We see miracles of healing, but we also, of people, and we see miracles of healing of land. And we were in a place called Kajikeji in South Sudan, and uh, the bishop wrote to us and said, will you pray for rain, because there's a drought when you come. So we were, so. We, we did pray for rain, but not terribly wholeheartedly, to be honest, because we did some teaching on healing the land. And in Leviticus 26, it says, if you obey my commands and don't build idols and do witchcraft effectively, he said, I will bring rain. And out of, as I'm speaking on this, out of my mouth, I heard myself say, if you repent of the idolatry and the witchcraft that you've been doing, it will rain. And I kind of wondered how I got this out of my mouth because I didn't know where it came from. Anyway, so, so, and I said, well, you've got to repent. So this is very Anglican story because they were, and uh, these, these leaders in the Anglican church, they come and they kneel down and, um, you know, I'm a bit Pentecostal by, you know, nature and uh, <laughs> and anyway they kneel down and I can't I can't tell you exactly what they said because it was in um, cuckoo language and anyway um, they said something like Lord Jesus um, we repent of the witchcraft and the idol worship on the land and we just ask you to forgive us and we break the curse in Jesus name and they got up it was like you know it was and I thought, well, well, that'll be interesting to see what happens. That night, six hours of rain came on our tin roof. And I know it was six hours because I was awake for the whole time. And I don't know if you, some of you have been in Africa. And when it rains, boy, does it rain. And it came down. And every night it rained that we were there. And the ladies were out there in their wellies planting the sweet potatoes. And they were excited. Every time we go back to Kajikeji, they say, Jan, do you remember 2010? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do. You know, of course I remember it. Because I saw God work a miracle with the weather because people were obedient to the word of God and repented and forgave and did what God wanted them to do. You see, when we do what God tells us to do, he honours our prayers. And you see, it didn't need a Pentecostal prayer, which is what I would have done. It just needed a soft heart towards Jesus. And they repented, and it happened. And, you know, God's just taught me um, so many things about this. Um, Yeah, a couple... uh, Yes, just... yeah. I'm sorry, I'm trying, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm a slave to the clock. Um, I, <laughs> but, um, yeah, we, were, uh, we went to an army camp in a place called Nzara, and um, I, the, the, all these army guys were lined up, and, uh, uh, and they were all coming for all sorts. So we'd done a couple of days teaching, and they were coming for physical healing. And this guy said to me, he said, I've got my arms. One arm is shorter than the other, you see. And I, so I, I could see it was something to do with his shoulder. So I laid hands on his shoulder. And I said my best prayers, you know. I said them more loudly. And then I said them softly. And his arms were like this, you see. 
And I, I thought, well, I've done everything I can, Lord. And as I turned to go away, I heard the Lord whisper to me, lengthen it. So I turned around and I said, come back. And he came. And I just prayed for his arm to be lengthened. And I watched it grow. And it was about two inches. And I said to the guy next to me, look, look. And the bishop was sitting behind me. I said, bishop, come look, come and look. And this guy's arm was lengthening. This doesn't happen every time. But when God speaks, you've got to do what he tells you to do. And as you do it, it's not really a risk. It is a risk, but it's also worth doing because almighty God has told us what to do. And so I saw this arm lengthened. I've not seen one do that again. Can I just say that? I wish we had. Um, And then, um, yeah, let let me just talk about this guy in Burundi. Um, Yeah, we were doing a conference in a place called Matana. And we'd been there the year before. And all the big men were in canon this and archdeacon this and, you know, there were loads of them in the front row and they're all sat there like this. I knew they, were, they, weren't, they weren't listening. I knew I was... And at the end of the day, I was really, really angry. I thought, I've come this far. I've spent all this money. We've got this whole team. I said, so I sent an email back, pray for breakthrough. And um, they did pray for breakthrough. And then in the morning, I was reading 1 Corinthians 4, verse 12. And it says, when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. There was breakthrough, but there was breakthrough in my life. You see, I was judging them. I was not, I was not loving on them. So I said, to, I said sorry to the team. I often have to do that. Anyway, I said sorry for, to the team. And I said, we've got to go down and love on them. And um, so we, this is what I did. And Roddy's just going to help me. So there's this guy. He's huge, this guy, Canon Benoit. Would you just stand up? And I went up to Canon Benoit and I said, Oh, Canon, Canon Benoit! Oh, I just, I just kind of laughed on him. Sorry. Did you drop your I did. Funnily enough. <laughs> but you see, and then I went down the whole line. It's all right, darlings. I won't do that all to you. But we went down the line and we just laughed on them. And you know, that this went to this. God did a miracle in my heart. At the end of the week, Canon Benoit stood up. He said, I didn't want to be here at the beginning of the week. And I thought, no, I know that. <laughs> but he, however, but he said, this week, my life has been transformed. This week, my family's life has been transformed. He was in my group, so uh, I knew all about it. This week... My life is transformed. And then the next guy had been principal of the Bible school. He said, last year when you came, I put your notes on my shelf. He said, this year, my life has been transformed. And I'm going to teach. I'm going to teach that. What you've been teaching us, I'm going to teach it in my Bible school. You see, we go in Flame International, we do see the miraculous but you never quite know where it's going to come. 
It might be in me, it might be in them. But what we must do always is love. And, you know, we go with an attitude of love. And I learned a very painful lesson that day. But I knew that as we went in love... But the other thing that that, um, is that when we teach on forgiveness, when we teach on forgiveness... Um, God changes lives then as well. And there was a, a man called Pesto in Lanya, and uh, he um, he hadn't. His wider family had been killed in the war, but his two sons had been killed three months before we get there. And we said, "Can you forgive the Lord's Resistance Army for killing uh, your sons?" He said, "No, absolutely not. I can't." Anyway, after three days, and he was in the groups, he came and he chose to forgive. But what had happened was he could not lift his arm higher than this. He was walking around with with like a frozen shoulder, and he couldn't lift his arm. The moment he chose to forgive, he could put his arm in the air. He was healed. You see, to me, that was a miracle, because... Because, but he got his life right with Jesus. He did what the Bible tells you to do. He says, forgive others as you have been forgiven. And, and we see miracles like this, small. That might be small, but we go back the next year and they're telling us, yeah, my life has changed. I've got a job now. I didn't have a job before. But, you know, and we went, we went to a prison in Sudan when Tish was with me. And we preached to 150 prisoners, some of them in chains. And we preached on forgiveness. And uh, did you preach on that? No. Yeah, yeah. Tish preached on forgiveness. The royal we, you know. And anyway, so we taught on forgiveness. And... Um, and, and it was clear that things were going on. Several days later, we found that seven of those prisoners had been released prematurely. Like, the, they'd just been released from prison. So they'd been released from prison on the inside, spiritually, but they'd been released from prison also on the outside. And every time we go to a prison now, we expect to see people changed. Not because of us, But because Jesus sends his Holy Spirit, anoints the word of God, and and brings faith into their lives. You see, we impart faith as we preach, as we teach. I'm so privileged to have had my muscles built up. Can I just tell you that? And, yeah. um, You know, and I believe the Lord wants to do extraordinary things with us in St. Paul's Church. And I just sometimes think, and, and I'd be guilty of this myself, that we, sometimes we operate in unbelief. We don't always believe that God is going to do something through us. Let me tell you, you don't have to do things of daring do that I do sometimes. and You don't have to do that. You just have to step out in faith. Do we come to church on a Sunday or go to a life group on Wednesday and expect God to change us? You see, I want to come to church on Sunday. I want to be changed. I want to be, I want to be more and more like Jesus. And I've got a long way to go, let me tell you. 
But that's what I want. And the problem is, um, and I would even, I would say it of myself, sometimes I come routinely to church because that's what I do on the Sunday. But actually, I actually want to meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want to have an encounter with the supernatural God. That's why I'm excited about what's happening here. And so, you know, I just think, and you don't have to preach the gospel. You know, if you're in, if you're in Tesco's, oh no, here we go to Waitrose, don't we? But if we're in Waitrose... Uh, if we're in Waitrose and we're standing in the queue, do we chat to the checkout girl or are we too busy? Yes, well done. Do we expect to have an encounter with somebody at the checkout? Actually, I probably don't. But I've been chastising myself as I've been writing this, thinking I've got to step out in faith wherever I go in Camberley and beyond. An order shop for those of us who I work in order shop. <laughs> okay. Um, but also, it might be that you're not an extrovert. So therefore, speaking to somebody in, in the waitress queue um, may not be your thing. But maybe you've been praying for somebody for years to become a Christian. Have you done anything about those prayers? Have you said... You know, why don't you read this book? Or can I invite you to Alpha? Or, you know, these are, these are things that we can do. Or maybe your next door neighbour. Um, maybe you do an act of kindness for them. You don't even have to preach the gospel. You just have to be kind to people. You know, sometimes an act of kindness can change your life. And I just believe that God wants to do something special in St. Paul's Church through us. Listen, I have a, a, a diploma in home economics. I'm an ordinary person. But I serve a supernatural God, the same God that you serve, the same Jesus that you worship. I just pray that we will, God will do something extraordinary in the next few months and years here. He hasn't forgotten us. It's the same Jesus that I believe he wants to impart faith to you so that you'll step out and take risks. And if you fail, it's not the end of the world because it isn't a failure. It's just, you know, we've, it's just how it is and God will pick us up and push you out again to do different things for him don't be discouraged expect to meet with Jesus and I believe he's going to do something special in you in Jesus name